0: What we started to understand is that innovation is anything that breaks into a new pattern.
1: The question is not whether you have a culture or not. The question is whether you have the culture you want.
2: My name is Steve Gilman, and for decades I've been helping brands engage with their audiences. On this podcast, we'll connect the dots in the fast-paced world of branding by talking with entrepreneurs, leaders, and marketers on the front lines of telling brand stories. Today, my guests are Kelly O'Keefe and Matt Williams, two of the partners of the Brand Federation, a brand strategy firm in Richmond, Virginia. The Brand Federation is a team of former CEOs and CMOs, and over their careers, they've helped some of the world's most respected brands, including MIT, GM, Geico, Walmart, UPS, KitchenAid, Morgan Stanley, so many to mention. Kelly O'Keefe is the founding partner and CEO of the Brand Federation. He's a respected brand strategist known for his leadership in corporate brand strategy. He's also a professor and chair of the Creative Brand Management Program at the VCU Brand Center. Matt Williams, prior to joining Brand Federation in 2019, was the CEO of the Martin Agency. Perhaps you've heard of it. One of the most creatively recognized advertising agencies in the world. And over Matt's 26-year career at Martin, he managed strategy development for world-class brands like Geico, UPS, Discover, Walmart. So you guys have you know, just been fooling around for about the last 30 years, not doing much, right? You do what you can. Yeah. So welcome to the program, you guys. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks. We're very happy to be here.
2: I think it'll be a really fun conversation. We haven't done two guests at the same time before, so we'll just kind of have to find our rhythm.
0: I, I already feel bad that like I have to split my my screen with Matt. I mean, you know, everyone else is a solo, right? Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> when we edit this together, we'll make sure we give you more solo time than Matt.
0: <laughs> That's how it usually works. It's okay. okay.
2: Yeah, we'll balance that out. Kelly actually had sent us an email before this about that. <laughs> That's also how it usually works. <laughs> so we'll get to talking about your all's podcast in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about the Brand Federation for the people who don't know your organization. You, Kelly, you founded the Brand Federation and then I know Matt you joined. With the resumes and the unbelievable work you all have done in your careers, what brought you to form the Brand Federation?
0: Well, it was really something that we were observing out in the marketplace, which was the significant rise of really sharp, really senior, really seasoned marketing and branding professionals who were choosing to drop out of the agency world and drop out of the client world and just become independent and go go their own way. And with that great talent on the sidelines, we thought there's got to be a way to corral that up. Clients... Uh, have a growing interest in working directly with great professionals, but they don't know where to find them. You know, they're all over the place working out of their homes. And we thought we could aggregate the great talent that was out there um, and also give them a lot of stuff that that they wanted, like the ability to work with with people that they loved and respected on teams, to have support services, to get paid on time, which believe Believe it or not, it's a huge factor in the industry. Uh, we pay all of our people 30 days exactly uh, by contract so that they know they're going to be paid, even if our clients haven't paid us. That'll make you popular. Uh, yeah, they like that. Yeah. Uh, and so we thought we could marshal the forces to put together really extraordinary teams of people. And we didn't see a lot of people who were really responding to the shift.
2: Yeah. So Matt, do you, what what made you come and join and get on board?
1: Well, I, you know, Steve Kelly and I have known each other for probably 25 years since we've all we've both kicked around the advertising and marketing world of Richmond for so long and and each of us had tried unsuccessfully to hire the other on numerous occasions during those 25 years Um, and and when i left martin he called me and he said hey i've got an idea i want to talk to you about it over lunch and we went to lunch and he told me about his idea for the brand federation which i thought was very cool and very interesting and timely um and i decided along with kelly to to come on to brand federation as one of the first consultants that he that he brought into a project so we worked on a project together just to kind of test it out, and it went great. We loved it. We had fun, uh, and I came on as a partner right after. And that was about what Kelly two and a half years ago.
2: Yeah, I think so. That's great. So you guys have been through the in the trenches together for years. So you get to use all that communication skills, you know, intercommunication skills between you guys and the friendship to really help clients too.
0: Absolutely, it's it's been fun to be able to finally work together in the same business uh, and we've really enjoyed
2: it. So one of the things that I think is interesting that, that, you know, you all don't lead with or bundle creative development with what you do. And I find that really fascinating because I think in my career, I've been doing this for about 27 years. I have certainly seen agencies make recommendations that were driven somewhat by the creative they really felt like they wanted to do. And you all unbundling that, do you feel like that gives you a little bit ability, you have less stakeholders to please when you're when you're making these recommendations and working directly with CEOs and and organizations.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it certainly does. I mean, it's it's super liberating if you have been in the agency business. It's not that we don't love creatives. In fact, we love more creatives than those who happen to work for us. And when you're a CEO of the agency world, and Matt and I both have been. Your main job is to make sure that you're an economically viable business. So your job is really filling timesheets. That's the job. And if you've got work that calls for creative, an art director, for example, but the only art director you've got who doesn't already have full utilization is not really right for the work, you're going to use that individual anyway. Yeah. The way we set up brand federation, we can work with anyone we want and, and we do with you know, firms in New York, down to Miami, um, specialists in corporate identity design, um, agencies who are um, really good at a, a more broad swath of advertising, specialists in direct marketing and digital. And it's just really nice to be able to look over the uh, field of candidates who could work on a given project and pick just the right one.
2: Yeah. Matt, have you found that really free?
1: Yeah, I have and I think you hit on another big benefit of doing it the way we do it, uh Steve, which is that that we can go into a project with a completely objective view on what we think the right strategy for that client happens to be, regardless of what kind of creative output it might result in. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a terribly kept secret in the agency world that our product in the agency world is a creative product. And, and for better or worse, you're going to have a certain perspective on the kind of creative you want to do as an agency. And you're going to want to have a certain kind of portfolio. And maybe it's really important that you win awards. And maybe it's not, who knows. But when strategy is viewed as simply an input into a certain creative perspective, you, you view strategy very differently. Now, we, because we don't, Have that connection with a specific creative perspective can view strategy in a much wider and more objective way, and that's that's liberating.
2: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would think that it is very liberating, and from the point of view of the connections you all have and all the different agencies that you know, whether they're large or small, boutique or independent, uh, you know, copywriters or whatever the talent you need, it it seems to me that you know, big agencies, a lot of times, even medium-sized agencies. They have a certain, certain industries and certain looks and feels that they fit with. And I'm sure it allows you guys to be like, okay, in this situation, this group of talent would probably work better for this particular product or situation.
0: Always. Always we're looking at skill sets. We're looking at temperament. We're looking at past experience um, when we're thinking about who to work with on efforts. And um, so we're, we're trying to match that that creative capability with the client that they're going to love. And that's also a good thing. It's a good thing for the creatives because like we're working right now with a financial services firm, a little bit on the conservative side, very uh, respected, been around for a long time. We don't want to just throw kind of a wild and crazy team at these folks because it wouldn't be appropriate to the way that the brand strategy has been developed. Um, it, It would almost certainly frustrate both the client and certainly the creative team, and and so when we work to match make ahead of time to really find the right fit, the relationships tend to be lasting and really positive, and everybody loves each other. It's it literally is sometimes like a giant love fest where the client saying this work is so good, and the agency say I love the client. Yeah. They also are entering into a situation because we've already done strategic work where that client knows who they are they know what the story they want to tell is they have the key storylines that they want to express they know what the creative personality the tone and feel is they want to capture and we've gotten the entire leadership team and board of directors to agree on that approach which means as you know that when the creatives hit it, it's not this indecisive client who can't quite figure out, do I like it or do I not like it? And so they get a really great project with a client who is very focused, has conviction about who they are.
2: Yeah, it, it seems like, Matt, I'm sure you really see this difference in all your years at the Martin Agency, and I love the Martin Agency, I'm a huge fan, but you know, there's sort of a, a amount of time you get to spend in planning the brand strategy. And you've got to get to the creative as an agency, you know, because those the, those wheels and those systems got to keep turning. And I think with the way you all are doing it, do you find that you guys, guys get to take the time to really dig in with the client a little bit better and really get them all on board with the brand strategy before you're starting to work on creative?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, and I'm, I'm with you, Steve, that you won't find a bigger fan of the Martin Agency than me. Um, so... I. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we we sometimes maybe get some more time. I think it's less about more time than it is about, like Kelly said, a different kind of orientation of the mindset of the client. So when a client hires an agency like Martin, they're hiring that agency for a piece of creative output. You know, they've probably gone through a pitch. They've seen a bunch of spec work. Agencies have been, you know, they've banged their head against a wall for six weeks, eight weeks, doing about multiple presentations. So they're buying the output. The output they're buying with Brand Federation is a piece of strategic thinking that then often translates into um, a client coming in and saying, gee, Kelly, I love this strategy. I totally understand it. My board is bought off on it. Can you help me get it done? And that's when we transition into what Kelly's talking about, where we say, okay, let's go find the creative resources in the world that are exactly right for this project, which is a... It, it's a flexibility that we have to to match the exact right resources to this project that you just don't have no matter how big your agency is when you're in an agency you're just you're you're pulling whoever you got right yeah. hopefully that person's a fit and you do your best to make them a fit but sometimes they are sometimes they're not sometimes you have the resources in house that you need sometimes you don't and it's it, we don't have that kind of constraint so it's a it's a different mindset going into the project for us than it is for an
2: agency. Yeah, and I bet the agencies on the other end of it really appreciate all the groundwork that's been laid and the fact that it's coming to them in such a such a well thought out um form because that isn't always the case.
0: Yeah I, I think they they do for the most part. They they love getting a client that's that knows what they're doing. And I would also say they love seeing how the creative work, the storytelling connects to the other parts of how we build a brand. Because to Matt's point, we're not just focused on the creative product, that's not the first answer. In fact, we have a number of clients where we're working with them on realigning their customer service. And we're working not with the chief marketing officer, but the chief operating officer. We're working to realign their incentives and rewards and recognitions for how they treat their people, how they attract the best and brightest, how they retain their best and brightest, which is more important now than ever with this great exit that we're seeing over the globe. Um, We're working with uh, HR, their uh, product development on new products and services. We're looking at how their retail locations look and feel. So, So all of those things are intertwined because of course, if you think about a brand, How we experience a brand is defined not just by their words, but by their deeds. We spend as much time on the deeds as we do on the words. They're not just telling a story that doesn't fit with the realities of this brand. It's connected up to everything else the brand is doing.
2: Yeah, that's great to hear because, you know, there's a lot of brands that just want to jump to the creative and get into that part of it. And it's only a portion of the brand experience you know, sometimes a very small portion.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's a diminishing portion yeah. in a lot of ways. And and it used to frustrate the heck out of me as an agency person where we have thinking about how this brand goes to market and how it comes to life inside, like Kelly's talking about it. You, you'd often get the the kind of dismissive little pat on the head conversation. that says, oh, that's a nice thought, but you're the agency. So go make the TV commercials, please. And man, it was frustrating. Nobody looks at us that way. Everybody looks at us with the broadest possible marketing lens and and when they hire brand federation, they know that they 're hiring people who are going to help them leverage marketing thinking and strategy thinking in every possible every possible venue and that 's fun
2: yeah, that is really fun and I think anyone in the agency business or at at whatever level whether you 're in the national brands or regional brands. There's so many times if you're doing insights and you're working on messaging and you're supposedly working on creative there's all these other things that need to be fixed or the creative's not going to work right so you know you go out and say you're xyz to the world and then the customer experiences it differently the marketing was essentially worthless
0: yeah absolutely whereas if you do it the other way around even if the marketing is great even if you don't have marketing i mean it It's incredible how many brands that we know as everyday brands that we can't think of when we've ever seen an ad for them. You know, we see people walking around with a Carhartt jacket and there is something to that brand. I mean, it's it's got it going on, but I swear I've never seen any marketing from that company ever. Yeti, the company that makes coolers and now seemingly everything else that can be made. Um, I've never seen an ad for those guys. So I, I think we have to understand that advertising is no longer the dominant force in how brands are built. It is one of the forces. It's an important force, but it only really works well when it's aligned with everything else.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I think that's really powerful. And I think, you know, you see that play out in so many brands and the brands that do advertise, but get this other stuff right. And this other stuff encompasses so much. That's a really easy way to say customer experience, HR, product experience, literally everything, every touch point. You know, I had a friend that I worked with in DC that would say, you can do whatever you want, but everything matters. You know, because every little experience the customer has absolutely matters. So if, if your ad makes them laugh or it makes them think, that's great. Unless the experience they had was shitty, then that's not going to go very well.
1: No, they're, they're they're gonna they're gonna hate your brand just as much as they would have if they'd never seen your ad anyway. Actually, maybe more because your ad is gonna make a promise that sticks in their mind that they're excited about that you then bomb when you try to deliver, and it's gonna leave them a worse taste in their mouth than if they'd never seen an ad before.
2: Yeah, I, co- I completely agree with that. So Kelly, I was I was you know I watched your alls. You all have a, a podcast called Beer and Brands
0: thank you for watching it oh absolutely thank you to the other 12 people
2: (laughs) (laughs) you guys just getting it off the ground that's okay you know it takes a while and uh just keep at it i found your episodes incredibly interesting and and i really enjoyed them i think i think anyone in the in the business world would really get a ton out of your all's podcast because the conversations what i liked about it is it's you two talking they're really in-depth I think you come away and you learn a few things that you wouldn't have thought of, or you, maybe you're reminded of things that you're just not thinking of actively every day. So I wanted to, to touch on on a couple of things you all discussed because I found them really fascinating, and I think our listeners would r- really benefit from your all's thoughts around this. You touched on since the pandemic, you know, so much has changed, and there are a bunch of pivot points for brands right now, and I, uh, you know. I had thought maybe a, a few of these. I didn't spend my time thinking all the way through, you know, lo- like what you do, but I was r- really enjoyed the article in Forbes that you wrote about that. And I really enjoyed the conversation you had. So would you mind touching on those pivot points? Because I think that's incredibly important for brands to be thinking about right now.
0: Yeah, well, there are a number of them and Matt and man, I can kind of tag team on them, but we have a lot of clients right now who are a little bit less concerned than they used to be with finding that next customer and a little bit more concerned than they used to be with finding that next employee and keeping the ones they have in a very competitive work environment. And it's not just about hiring. What they need to understand is that post-pandemic, we feel a little bit differently than we used to feel about work. Uh, We're seeing people who are exiting their jobs at a huge uh, pace. And even more, we're seeing people who are saying, I'm not going to work around the clock anymore. I'm not going to work late nights and early mornings and be mistreated or abused at work. And I, for everyone out there watching, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. We in the advertising and branding firm field, we've been terrible about this. Yeah,
2: we're like the worst.
0: Oh, horrible, horrible. Yeah. And you know what? Our employees don't want it anymore. They're not going to take it anymore. And so they're rejecting it. And they they have the ability to do that now. So I I think one of them is to deal with a whole new perspective on work. How do we make it so that we can make it very easy for our employees to do the best work of their lives, to make it very easy for us to attract people who are really great people? And, you know, when I talk to business leaders about this, I say, it's not that you're not going to find enough employees ultimately to do the job. The problem is that you're not going to get the A's if you don't treat people well. You'll get a bunch of B's and C's. And that's okay, except that A's make a difference. Right now, what we're seeing is there is a competitive advantage if you treat your people with the kind of respect that they go home and they say to their loved ones, I love my job. These people treat me well i got to tell you, there are a lot of people going home every day, and that's not what they're saying to their loved ones about their job.
2: (laughs) That's for sure. I think it's (laughs) one of the most important things you can do. That's that's, not to interject, but that's one of the reasons we moved our agency from Washington, D.C. to to the Shenandoah Valley, was completely lifestyle and quality of life so that our employees didn't have to be at the office until 11 o'clock at night busting their brains out. And we don't do that. We don't like that.
0: Such a good move. It's so it's so nice. i have never been confident that there's really any increased productivity when people are working around the clock. And I don't they think it's so. a job done well anyway. And when you can be a hero at home, when your employees know that the company that I work for is a great company. It's a competitive advantage, so that's certainly one of the pivot points we talked about.
2: Yeah, another that you mentioned, and Matt, you might be able to speak to this equally. Um, that kind of connects right to that is culture, and you know, I, I have a, someone that I interviewed for the podcast that said culture is brand.
1: I, I would agree with that um, hundred percent. The other thing that that often tell clients is that that you know the the question is not whether you have a culture or not. The question is whether you have the culture you want. And if you don't proactively manage that culture and strategically create that culture the way you want to create it, it's going to turn into it's going to become whatever it becomes on its own. And you're probably not going to like it. So to, to me, the when we think about brands, we don't think about logos and names. We think about meaning and identity and and how you want to be thought of in the world the reputation you want to create for your organization and that begins with your people your people are the ones who are most involved in what you're doing every day to create your brand they're the ones who see your ads and pay close attention to it they're the ones who pay attention to the to the the, the policies you create and the and and the way you behave to 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 build the brand that you that, that you want to build um it's amazing how many clients you know, kind, of, kind of think of it as a, a revelation when we have a brand strategy and we implement it. And they say, you know, the great thing about this is my internal people love this. I was like, well, of course they do. That should be the first thought all the time because they're the ones who have to deliver the promise that you make in the world, right? So uh, culture is brand. Brand is culture. You can't separate those two. And when people think of brand as logos and marketing communications, they're missing the
2: point. Yeah, I mean those things matter. Logos and marketing communications are important, but brand experience is so much more important. And I I think we've all experienced where a brand says something about it itself when you go in and there's a disconnect. And you know, it's very simple. If you treat your employees like crap, they will treat your customers like crap every single
1: time. It's so and we talk about this in the most recent Beer and brands that we just filmed yesterday. Oh, great! By the way, at nine o'clock in the morning. So Kelly and I were drinking <laughs> at nine o'clock in the morning on camera. I no bet rest. that made
2: for a really productive day.
1: Uh, <laughs> the nap was was yeah. extra long. Yeah, I it bet. Highly really creative day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I, I don't think we don't have a workforce crisis and to characterize what's happening now as a workforce crisis is a mischaracterization. What we have is a work crisis. And, and all we've seen is what happens when you have a work crisis that's gone on for decades, by the way, when, when COVID comes and removes the workforce from work and the workforce takes that opportunity to say, hey, we are the scarce resource and we're not coming back unless some really important things change that's what sheds a light on the workforce or the work crisis that we have. Um so the problem here is not that people can't find people to do the work. The problem is the terms of work are unacceptable and you're not going to get the people back into the workforce until you change them.
2: Man, I love that. There's nothing nothing that rings more true with me than that. You know, the 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 pandemic was not great for any of us, but I think we also took away some there's some silver linings and that's one of them and you know i think everyone's changed the way they work and of course you know we you know we have an office and offices and the whole thing but we all left and everyone worked from home and we gave everyone even more agency than they already had and our productivity went up and we made it permanent you can work from wherever the heck you feel like it now
0: it's amazing steve you're so right about that we actually did the same thing. I mean, we had always been using a lot of virtual tools because our empire of independence is pretty far flung. But it's gone to a new level um, since the pandemic. For example, one of our partners, Ryan chandler Dovis, who's an outstanding star for us, said, hey, my family and I would like to move to Mexico.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: And I'm like, really? (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people trying to get the other way. Right. Right. But she actually has gone to an extraordinary part of Baja, California. And it's now we're all in envy of her. And I I said, fine, go. Stay working for us. We have a Mexico office now. Great. It doesn't matter. She's just as productive as ever. We're seeing that productivity everywhere. We're also seeing that we don't have to hop on an early morning flight to go to Minneapolis for a half hour meeting where we blow a day and a half, uh, because we can just jump on Zoom and we can get that meeting done. There are times when face-to-face meetings are important and we still do those, but, but for most of our check-ins we don't and it's more efficient for everyone on every end of the spectrum. It's one of those things I think that we've seen as important pivot points. Another one is innovation. And innovation may not feel like a pivot point because haven't we been talking about innovation for like certainly since the 80s and 90s? Yeah, right. Innovation has actually taken a really interesting and beautiful new form now. I I think we used to think of innovation as as the coolest new tech objects or items that engineering could cook up. And and so people love things like, you know, Amazon is going to, have drones flying me your packages, which is just insane. Yeah. It's insane. I don't want to live in that world. Yeah. I, I see how many packages come in my neighborhood around the holidays.
2: I don't want that I don't
0: want those things whizzing all over the place. You know, Jesus <laughs> Christ. You're ducking I'm
2: trying to get to the house. <laughs>
0: uh, what we started to understand is that innovation is anything that breaks into a new pattern and actually, corporations aren't that good at that. Um, and a new pattern can provide a simple innovation that is based on a true insight about what consumers want and need. So an example of a great innovation at Amazon was the one-click ordering button, which now that we all love, right? We're addicted to that thing. Um, and yet... That's not the kind of thing you see on the cover of Time Magazine and an article about cool new tech, cool new innovation. Innovation, I think in a post COVID world is a lot more organic and it's more about changing the way people do things than just about changing technology. It's about making things like customer service actually live up to those two words, uh, which I just had this crazy incident with Peloton Kind of a good brand. I don't mind trashing them here because <laughs> their truck broke down delivering the product to my home, and instead of saying, "Hey, we're gonna," sorry, we'll get it out the next morning. We'll get it out in a couple of days. We'll pay the guys overtime so they can get it out there. No, they just push it back two and a half weeks. And um, and when I called them about it, <laughs> I talked to three people nobody had power to do anything. And I'm like, wait a minute. I I think customer service involves actually serving. You should really rename this department reporting and apologies because they do, they are good at apologies at Peloton. I mean, they're good at it. Everyone I talked to was like, we are so sorry we've inconvenienced you. We wish there was something we could do. And I'm like, how about?" Ship me my bike. Yeah. How about that? How about actually doing something? <laughs>
2: How about being better at solving problems and not as good at apologizing?
0: That would be good. That you guys would be do that a awesome lot. That would be our service. But not to pick on Peloton too much, although I did enjoy that. I think we see in corporate America that we've established patterns that are not necessarily consumer friendly. They're not necessarily employee friendly. And we are stuck in those ruts. Yep. Innovation in a post-COVID world means breaking out of those ruts and really rethinking, can't we really do a better job at at making people's lives a little bit better? And if we do, we're going to be a stronger brand.
2: That's really interesting. And I think that comes down to employees too. That's part of the innovation going on when you're starting to, starting to treat people better and you're treating your employees better. Maybe they're not in a department that they just apologize and track how angry someone is every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, we have worked with companies on improving their customer service and empowering customer service. And not only does customer ret- retention go up, employee retention in the department goes up. Yeah. Because really, of it's not that much fun apologizing <laughs> all day long. Although I gotta say, they have found people who seem to love it at Peloton. Yeah. Cal- 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 it's gotta be the most stressful job in the world.
2: Yeah, can you imagine?
0: Apologizing to pissed off
1: people all day doesn't sound like a great
2: job. Especially when you're powerless to do anything.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the innovation idea is a really interesting one in terms of pivot points because I, I think it, it highlights the fact that we're living in a time now where, where innovation is almost the sole remaining source of competitive advantage, right? It's not access to natural resources. It's certainly not access to information. Anything we want to know is accessible just with a couple of keystrokes, right? Capital's moving faster than it's ever moved. So what you need to be is somebody who's able to harness all those more easily accessible assets in a way that nobody has ever harnessed them before. And that simply comes down to the ability to be innovative and creative in the way you do it. When I I talk to clients and and students, when I teach at William & Mary, every one of my classes starts with the first slide, which is a quote from a, a 19th century German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer, who said... Ours is not to know that which no one else knows it's to see what no one else has seen in that which everyone knows and and that's that's the job of business
2: right now that's great that's really great that reminds me of something that you all talked about I'm going to skip between pivot points in your your episode around sustainability and branding um, there's something Matt that you said and you guys were talking back and forth and it just it just stuck with me about How when brands take a stand for what they believe in, that everyone used to look at that as a big risk. And now it really is the conversations in boardrooms have changed because of what some brands have done and not seen everybody just hit the door. So it kind of comes, you know, it's sort of a combination of how do you innovate and treat your employees and your customers. But also I think it's a little bit of an innovation in how brands are starting to say, no, this is who we are.
1: Yeah, I don't think brands can, brands can't do the thing they've always tried to do, which is to engage in the world in a way that, that, that turns them into magnetic forces for customers that they want, right? They've, that's always been the job of a brand. The, the, the environment in which they engage has completely changed and engagement used to mean, Hey, we're going to steer clear of any kind of controversy, any kind of, any kind of opportunity to make a stand because that's polarizing. We don't want to polarize anybody. The the world has flipped to a point where any brand who's scared to to take that scan, stand and scared to risk the polarization, people are just going to write off as a, as a spineless, meaningless, massive jelly, right? So now, the question people ask is not just what do you sell and does it work and what's it going to do for me? They're going to ask, what are you about? What do you stand for? And where do you come down on these issues that are important to me? And I want to know that before I shell out my money for that thing. And we never really asked that 25 years ago. In fact, if, if, we, if, we, if we ventured into that area, the board pushed us out of the room. No way we're doing that.
0: Now you have to.
2: And activating around that is really important. It isn't just about marketing, right? No, marketing is just a piece of it.
0: I mean, it's about living your beliefs, obviously, internally. You can't just put on a cause for a show and expect it to work out. State Street Advisors did that. Yeah,
2: people try it.
0: Yeah, they built this awesome statue of Fearless Girl uh, who Uh. they put in front of the bull on Wall Street. It was a great message that really attacked those companies who treat the women in their company worse than they treat the men. Unfortunately, State Street Advisors was found to pay the women in their firm less than they were paying men for the same job. So it blew up in their face. So it does have to be honest. You actually have to look and say, am I living by these beliefs? Uh, But then if you are, feel free to share. It doesn't matter if they align with everyone else. We still admire those organizations that have conviction about who they are. Steve Jobs, not always the nicest guy, uh, but he built the most valuable company on earth, 2.4 trillion dollar in worth right now company on earth based on doing what he thought was important and, and what many other people didn't think was important.
2: Yeah. And do you all, you all talked about a few examples of brands that have done a really good job of embracing that? And really lived sustainable branding, uh, is there anybody that you sort of call out that you think is a great example for people to when they're trying to wrap their heads around this? you know Patagonia does it
1: consistently well all the time um, and and not just in big big flower flowery promotions, which they do very well, but even when they respond to topical things, things that happen in the world, they're going to come out and they're going to say hey, we're for this, or we're not for that, so no, we're not doing that and I, I think, you know, they've they've done a great
0: job. I think Nike has put their money where their mouth is. They've stood behind athletes regardless of their opinions and been willing to take the risks necessary to make unpopular statements. It hasn't hurt their value.
2: No, it hasn't. And I think, you know, 10, like you said, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, certainly 20, Nike would have been afraid to do that. Yes, I think that's right. You know, so that's a big change in, in the industry, period. I think that's a big change in business. And you're seeing some people try to whitewash their way through it, and other people really truly embracing that. But it, it, you know, the thing that I kept thinking, because I, I watched both your episodes almost back to back, and I kept thinking how much that, that practice connects with innovation and the, some of the pivot points. You can't, you can't direct your
1: efforts in terms of innovation until you understand what you stand for and what you care about. Otherwise, you're going to kind of be all over the place and you're going to be taking cues from, from people you shouldn't take cues from. And 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 you need to have your own kind of North Star that you can follow. And once you have that, you can build innovation and, and experiences and brand expressions, whatever form they take. You can build it around that set of principles. If you don't have that, you're rudderless. You have to start there. That, that's the first conversation, Steve, that we always have with clients. It's not about you know, whether you like blue or green. It's about what you mean, what you stand for, what's true and authentic about your organization. When we, when we uncover that, then we can articulate it in an interesting and energetic way. And you can use that articulation to build everything you do around. And, and that that amplifies and strengthens that principle. But without that, you got
2: nothing to build on. Yeah. And you're just following the latest fad. or trying to jump on a bandwagon here or there yeah yeah when marketers do it wrong
1: the first question they ask themselves is what audience do i want to attract and what do they want so i'm going to go out and i'm going to do a whole bunch of research with all these target audiences that i want to bring into my brand right because i've identified that there's big growth here i want to go get it what do they want i'm going to bring it back into my company i'm going to try to be that it never ever 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 works because it's not true What you ought to do is start with who you are and say, what am I and what makes me special? And why do my customers give me their hard-earned money for what I do when there are other competitive options that they could have taken? What is it that they know about me? And how do I go find people in the world who want that, but just don't know that that's who I am? That's who I need to go after. You can't do that unless you start inside.
2: That's really powerful. I mean, I think there's so many brands and so many marketers still making that mistake. They look at research. They look out into the market and go, "I want you." So, how can I be something you want instead of how can I be who I am? And I'm going to attract my tribe. People are going to come to me. Um, you know, it's interesting because that's you, you all talked a lot about convictions and how convictions aren't fluid. You know, when you you can't just change when the when the environment changes, which is really hard for corporations. So, can you tell me a little bit about that? So uh, we love to talk about
0: conviction because it's, it's, a, deeper, it's a deeper value. When, when we have a conviction, it's, it's not just about it like having a commitment. The difference to me is I have a commitment every year, usually around New Year's, to lose some weight. Some years I do well, some years not so well. But with a conviction, it's so inside you that, that you behave driven by those convictions. And it's not a conviction if it only is the way you behave when it's convenient for you or profitable for you. I remember writing about this after Nike took its stand on Colin Kaepernick. And somebody said, well, you know, do you think they knew that they were actually gonna profit from taking this stand that their stock would go up, which it did do? And I said, I don't know if they knew it or not, but I hope they didn't. I hope it didn't even enter into the equation. Because if they only did it because they thought it was going to sell more shoes, then it's really not a conviction. Uh, A conviction is, again, it's something deeper. And what I think we're saying to corporate America, to the brands in in the world, is it's okay to have convictions. It's okay to show convictions. You just got to live by those convictions. And what will happen is, to use a term you just used, Steve, that your tribe will find you. Uh, there's a moment in time when we all kind of connect with a group of people and we feel like, oh, I found my people. I remember I grew up in in the Detroit area. And when I first went to design school in New York, I went to to visit the design school that I was applying to. And I thought, oh my God, I've found my people. Everyone here is like me. I'm an oddball back at home, but here we're all oddballs together it felt so good to be with my people and i think when a brand is at its best that's how it's operating it's attracting the employees that kind of believe in the same things it's attracting the customers that believe in the same things and that's driven by galvanizing the conviction of the people that are closest to the organization
2: yeah that that's really great i mean that is that is so important for a successful brand and so important for people to keep in mind because i think again When I think about problems that brands have, a lot of times it's that they think a commitment is a conviction, and then the going gets tough, and they want to change their mind, and they waffle, and they go in a different direction, and all of a sudden, they're nothing to no one.
0: Absolutely. Wherever possible, we're working with the clients that we have to try and really get them to commit, really get them to unearth those convictions that drive their decisions and stick with them.
2: That's incredibly valuable to do with them. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, so whose idea was the beer and brands between you guys who wanted to drink at 9am?
1: I don't even know. It, it, yeah. At nine o'clock when we were drinking beer, we I mean, weren't sure it was a great idea, but <laughs> by 9.30, it was freaking brilliant. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know, Kelly, who thought about it? We, we were kicking around the idea of like, how can we, how can we be more present in the world? Let's create some content. Let's Let's, let's, let's find a way, an interesting way to, at least hopefully interesting way to, to put, put some thinking out into the world and, and see what happens and start some conversations. So what better way to start a conversation than with, with beer in your hand? Yeah. You know? The other thing is like, if you walk around Richmond, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a brewery. Yeah. So we can go to a different brewery for the next
0: five years every month.
2: Yeah, I, I like how you guys feature them at the beginning too. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, oh, it's it's fun to boast about those guys. And I also think Christian Munson who who works with us uh, and is uh, I worked with him in the past at at another company Padilla, he's just an amazing person, but he was sitting around saying, "You know, the conversations you two get into are really interesting. I wish we could just put a put a recording device on that." And we thought, well, if it was accompanied by beer, we might just be willing <laughs> to do that.
2: Uh, so That's great.
0: We really did try and we try and honor the premise that it's it's not intended to be a lot of prepared stuff, but just a conversation over beer about the stuff we love to talk about.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys, you know, you've been in the industry for so long and you've accomplished so much. You can tell when you're talking to each other, you know, you guys have been talking this way. For years and years and years, and it's really fun to watch and you learn a lot watching it. So if people out there haven't seen Beer and Brands, go to the Brand Federation site and find it there. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. So what's the plan moving forward? Are you guys going to do? How often are you doing episodes? Or are you just kind of doing it as as you have time? How's that working?
1: We're doing it every month. Great. Right now. Yeah. So so we're, we've we've gotten on a pretty regular cadence once a month. Um, we've done three now at three different breweries We're we'll, we just did our, we just recorded our third on Monday, uh, and we'll, we'll have that out probably beginning of next week. So, so yeah, we're trying to keep it on a
0: regular basis. It's been fun and, uh, and yeah, we we'll won't keep doing it. We might introduce a guest or two, uh, in the future. We're talking about that as well. And, um, and I, I kind of am keen on doing one in Brooklyn, uh, at some point, uh, when we run out of all of the craft beer in Richmond, we've got to
2: start going somewhere else. That's a good choice. Lots of good breweries there, too. Um, that's great, you guys. I'll be watching, and I think uh, I, hopefully people who, who watch our podcast will tune into yours as well because I think what you guys are doing is really unique. And, you know, the experiences you all have, you're not going to find just anywhere. So it's a really, really great thing for you guys to share it. So I'm going to ask you a few quick questions because I think I've, I've got about eight more minutes with you. Um, from your all's point of view what's a must read for people or a must watch or listen uh, about brand or brand strategy
0: you know um, there's a, a lot of books that uh, talk about brand that are not really brand books as much as business books like you know old ones like discipline of uh, market leaders which is remains a good one though being very dated even built to last but one of my favorites is one that is called a new brand world it's I'm not even sure if it's still in print. It's Scott Bedbury's book, uh, but I used to give it to clients because it really does speak to the power of branding as a construct for organizational behavior, and I think it's it's really
2: smart. That's great, Matt. Do you have anything?
1: Yeah, it's funny, Steve. I I, I go out of my way not to read business books. <laughs> Sounds terrible. No, i It's part of their time being a business professor. But, I get it. Um, I, so, the, I, I actually have assigned a, a class this last semester to read a couple of chapters in Hey Whipple, Squeeze This by Luke Sullivan, which is an amazing glimpse into the mind of a creative strategy and, and advertising thinker. Uh, and it's a blast to read. Um, and then I always answer a question like this with uh, The New Yorker. Go read The New Yorker. It's, it's the best, most provocatively written publication I know. And if you want to be a great writer and you want to see people who are incredibly skilled at capturing complicated thoughts in language, just go subscribe to The New
2: Yorker. Those are great tips. We'll, we'll list those and uh, make sure people see that. Um, so the last 18 months has just been pretty insane for everyone. Um how do you think your role or your experience has changed the most over the last eighteen months?
0: I think the biggest thing that has changed in in my role and in some of the work we're doing is we're very, very mindful that our our whole world is going through some incredible stresses right now, and Covid is only one of them right we We saw last year the murder of George floyd. We've seen an increase in violence. Against people of color by by police, in many cases, we see inequities that that inconceivably continue to uh, be part of our society, even when we know they're wrong. We're seeing a climate crisis that is is very, very problematic. I mean, you know it's it's definitely code red for the earth, and I think what we believe is that we have a responsibility. We do, the clients we work with do, all of us do, to try and channel the things that help us make money, um, the work that we do, to also solving some of these vexing societal problems or at least contributing to it. Now, in our world, we are communicators by nature. And so that I probably scientifically cannot solve climate crisis. I'm going to go right out on a limb and say... That's You're not, not within guy. my skill sets. But We can certainly talk about um, the importance of it. We can change people's minds. We can give voice to causes. We can help organizations own up to their responsibilities. All of us, anyone listening to this who's in the world of marketing, you have incredible power to do some of those things. And that to me is the past 18 months is all been about understanding the responsibility we have to think larger and to try and push back on some of the challenges that we're facing right now.
1: I'm not sure I can beat that answer. Yeah, soon. that was a pretty but good answer. I, I actually, I, I do think that, that the the kind of traumas and stressors we've gone through as, a, as, as human beings in the last couple of years, few years, um, longer than a couple of years, probably few years, if you go back to you know, back the last five years, um, it 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 proved to me that I think I was right when I've always suspected that Milton Friedman was wrong, and that the role of business should not solely be to increase shareholder value. We have a bigger part to play, and and it, as we're living in a world that's maybe more immediately broken than we've seen in a long time, and and when the world is as broken as it is now, you, it, it, it's more immediately apparent to, to, at least to me, and I think to, to the people I want to surround myself with, that everybody's dealing with challenges in their personal life and, and, and they're difficult. And the question becomes, how can we as leaders, we as managers of a community that's disguised as a company, um, how can we be part of the solution and not part of the problem? Because you know what? We've been way too big a part of the problem for way too long. And 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 the business community
2: has to change. Wow, equally is good answer. <laughs> that was a great answer. Uh, you guys are a blast to talk to. I could do this all day. Um, seriously, I enjoyed this so much. You both are are brilliant, wonderful people to talk to. It's been super fun, Steve. Good. I'm glad. I have one final question for each of you that I ask all the all the guests on our on our show. Um, so I'll ask. Uh, I'll just go in the same order. Kelly, I'll ask you first. Matt, you'll have to follow. See if you can beat his answer. Or you buy the beer next time?
0: Always. Oh, yeah. Fine.
2: <laughs> fine. Fine. So, uh, Kelly, if you could tell your younger self something, give yourself some advice, what would it be at this point in your career? I,
0: I, I think I would tell myself to just be who you are and be less concerned uh, about whether or not other people appreciated that. Uh, I think you spend a lot of time as a, as a young person trying to fit in. And then, then you finally realize, oh, I, I don't have to do that at all. What was I thinking? I can just be me and, and people will like that or not like it.
2: It'd be a great thing to l- learn younger, wouldn't it? So, Matt, what about you?
0: I, I, think, it's, I think it's similar, which, which is
1: take more chances, go out on more limbs, um, let, let, let the wheel turn more freely. Um, I think I'm, I'm a little bit cautious by nature, um, and sometimes that serves you well, but oftentimes it doesn't. It keeps you from having experiences that you would have loved. It keeps you from contributing to things that you could have contributed more to if you had just taken more chances. Um, the margin for error in this life is bigger than you think it is. Go, go take more chances. Crawl out on more limbs. Go, go try more things.
2: Well, I can't think of a better message to end on than that. That's a, thank you, guys, both so much for your time and your energy today. Um, you guys are both r- just great to listen to. Please, everyone, turn it tune into the Beer and Brands podcast as the episodes come out. And uh, I really appreciate your all's time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. It was great. Thank you, Steve. Great to talk to you.